Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it changes us and transforms us. Thank you that uh, you have a message for us today. And your message has power. Your words have power. And so we, we yield to it. We surrender to it. We let you speak to us. We open ourselves up to everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I met Terrell. He was, it was my second year of college. And I had been a uh, freshman at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I had joined the worship ministry and I'd already been on a trip and there's so many um, incredible experiences I had that first year and so I was I was kind of the worship leader and I would get all the solos and and I would you know I just kind of had this experience at ORU I was kind of the BMOC you don't know what BMOC is do you that's because I'm a child of the 80s. Big man on campus. I was pretty, I mean, I, I, I had all these opportunities. And then Terrell showed up. Terrell was cool. I wasn't nearly as cool as Terrell. Terrell had cool hair. He had these cool glasses. He dressed really awesome. He was so amazing. His voice was like butter, <laughs> smooth. It was like honey in your ears. As weird as that sounds, it's, it seems good. It's like, it's like so, it was, he, in the way he sang, it was like an angel. It was incredible. He was always on, and when anybody he'd sing, everybody would be like, oh, oh. Suddenly, I stopped getting the solos. I stopped being scheduled to lead. I was like, wait a minute. Terrell's singing all the solos. I hated Terrell. <laughs> I was so mad at him. I was like, this guy doesn't even know what he's doing. I've been on missions trips. This guy's never been on a trip. I led all, this, all the songs last year. He doesn't even know the songs. I had to go through a long, tormented journey of learning that it wasn't all about me. You've probably experienced that in your life. If you're an athlete that really wanted this spot on the team and somehow you didn't get it, crushed by the disappointment, if you're an actor, you know, you, you've, you're ex you've experienced the disappointment over and over and over again. You're like, you're like trying out for the part, and then it's like you don't get it. You're just like sick of this process. You're like, doesn't anybody recognize my talent? There's a whole number of ways that we can experience this idea, this problem, where we're learning that, Life is not all about me. Do you remember your mom telling you that? She said it to you probably in junior high school. Life isn't all about you. And I guess it's my intention to do that to you this morning. As we take our final tour of this 
series we've been on called On Purpose, Lies We Believe About Our Attention. We've dived deep into this subject. Over the last few weeks, we've made, talked about specific steps that we can take to discover our purpose. We've talked about what to do while you're waiting to discover what your purpose is and how you can serve and you can tap into other people's purpose as you're waiting to figure it out. In the last few weeks, we talked about obstacles that are in our way, and we've tried to tear those things down so that we can discover our purpose and so that we can, we can be used by God to, to do our purpose. There's one more thing we need to talk about, though, and that's the big story. The big story of God and how important it is to realize that our purpose is not to be the centerpiece of that story. We're not the ones that the story revolves around. God's big story revolves around Jesus Christ, his son. And he came to share the love of God. See, we tend to think that life is actually the story of us. Anybody watch the show? The story of us? You weep every week if you watch it. But it's really the wrong picture for the Christian, for the person who follows Jesus. It's the wrong idea. It's not the story of us. It's God's story, and you and I get to play a supporting role. It's so easy for us in life to focus down on one thing and miss the bigger picture that's going around all around us. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. It's like a, an awareness test. Have you ever taken an awareness test? Some of you have seen this before. Check this out. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? It's easy to miss something you're not looking this for. <laughs> how, how many people didn't see the bear the first time? Yeah, amazing. How many people didn't see the bear the second time? <laughs> see, you're the people who really need this message. <laughs> there's, a, there's something we have to understand. There's things going on around us, and God is doing these things. His story is unfolding all around us, but somehow we get focused down and we miss things. Louis Giglio in his book, I Am Not, But I Know I Am, he says this. He says, the story already has a star, and the star is not you or me. If we don't get the two stories straight, everything else in our lives will be out of sync. We'll spend our days trying to hijack the story of God, turning it into the story of us. When we start talking about God's story, one of the questions we're captivated with as we think about it is, so many people think about this, when will Jesus return? 
right? When will Jesus return? A bunch of people have made guesses at when he, was re- when he would return. I was alive in 1988. Actually, I was in college. And I remember the book being written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. <laughs> and then sadly, the next year, he didn't come back, by the way, just so you know. Um, but the next year, he writes this other book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Didn't Come Back in 1988. <laughs> What a mess. In 1995, do you remember the Left Behind series as we were ramping up to Y2K? Some of you are like, what's Y2K? I wasn't even born yet. (laughs) Sad, sad, sad. Harold Camping in 2011, he, he put billboards all over America saying judgment is coming on May 21st, 2011. When judgment didn't come, he rescheduled it for October. It's like crazy. The reality is Jesus will return one day. As exciting as that question is, there's an even more profound question that needs to be answered. The question that needs to be answered, if we're really going to understand how to live out our purpose, the question isn't will Jesus return, but why did Jesus leave in the first place? Why did Jesus leave? Stop and think about it for a minute. If you consider the sweeping meta-narrative of the Bible, and the big story, it culminates in the most dramatic event in all of history, the incarnation of God in human form. God coming into the world in Bethlehem as a child, as a baby, the Savior of the world, God becoming man. It was an incredible display of love of identifying with humanity. This moment, this incarnational moment has been called the very hinge of history, the greatest story ever told. The reason is because no other person or event has ever had such a profound impact on human history. Many of you know the story that follows, but the reality is you've probably always heard it through your 21st century American lens, your filters. So let's go back in time to understand the story as the disciples may have experienced it because remember the disciples didn't know how the story would end like we do today. Like we've kind of read a bunch about it. But we have to go back and see the first disciples were part of the once great nation of Israel. They'd been trampled on by a succession of empires over thousands of years. And the latest was the Roman Empire, the most powerful of all. And the prophets had foretold of a Savior, a Messiah that would come in in, in the future. And he would be the king again on David's throne. And he would someday liberate and restore the fallen nation of God's chosen people. And they'd been waiting and longing for hundreds of years for this Messiah King to appear. Just about 30 years after that miraculous night in Bethlehem, Jesus burst onto the scene. Publicly declaring in the local synagogue in Nazareth that he was the fulfillment of those messianic prophecies. He was the Christ the Jewish people had longed for, longed to see for centuries. He was the king. He would restore Israel. And you would think that at that announcement, at his proclamation, all the Jewish people would shout for joy and rejoice. But instead, Luke 4 records... In verse 29, they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way, just like a moonwalking bear. Then Jesus demonstrated indisputably that he was indeed the long-awaited Messiah by doing miracles. 
by turning water into wine, healing the sick, the blind, the lame, feeding thousands of people, casting out demons, walking on the water, quieting the storms, even raising the dead back to life. It was undeniable for three years. He traveled the countryside preaching, teaching, and healing. And Jesus' primary message was, the kingdom of God is near. That was his message. The kingdom of God has come to you. Jesus was unleashing a new age of the kingdom of God. What was is no more, and there's a new age that's coming to you. That was his message. Even though Jesus, the, the, the religious leaders, they opposed him. They were mad at him. They felt their power was threatened, and Jerusalem and all the surrounding towns were literally buzzing with the news of who Jesus was. Thousands began to seek him and to follow him. From those followers, he selected 12 men, 12 men who became his inner circle to travel with him, be taught by him, be his apprentices. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Put, put yourself in their sandals, if you will. Think about what they saw. They'd been hand-selected to be discipled by the rabbi, by this miracle worker, Jesus. They had ringside seats to the most amazing events the world has ever seen. But they believed that Jesus would come to power. And they believed it so strongly that they argued with each other over who would sit right next to him. Who would be the second and third most powerful? See, they still thought that a story was around, surrounding them. They, they still thought they were the center. But Jesus' kingdom wasn't political or militant. It was entirely different. Just when the disciples felt certain that Jesus would liberate the Jews from Rome, the unthinkable happened. Jesus, the Messiah, was betrayed by Judas, who was one of the twelve. He was arrested one evening near the garden where he prayed. The disciples scattered in confusion and fear into their growing horror. Within a matter of hours, Jesus was brutally beaten and sentenced to death, nailed to a cross, and he died. And then he was buried in a tomb. I don't think we can possibly imagine the depth of the disciples' despair. Their hopes and dreams crushed. Their, their teacher and friend was dead. The messianic king of Israel had been snuffed out, and everything they believed and hoped for was gone forever. So in their grief, they ran and hid. They, they feared for their own safety, even denied that they knew Jesus. It seemed like the bad guys won on this one. It was over. Three days went by. One last outrageous and unexpected plot twist took place inside the bleak, dark, cold, stone tomb. Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter morning. The stone was rolled back. Jesus emerges victorious from the tomb. Some women discover him, and he tells them to go into Galilee and tell all his brothers that he's alive. It's an incredible thing. 
In Luke 24, 1 through 7, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The angel said, hey, remember the story. You've forgotten the story. You forget what he said. There's no more dramatic death story in all the world. Think of the awe, the joy the disciples must have felt when they discovered he was alive. I don't think we can uh, capture the emotional reaction because nothing like this had ever happened before. Every hope that had been dashed was suddenly alive. Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the King, and his resurrection changed everything. Luke records it in Acts 1, 3 through 6. He says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples knew that God was about to do something totally different, totally radical. Their sense of anticipation was growing and building towards something. Jesus was back, they thought. The revolution was back on track. <laughs> Let's go, Jesus. See, they still thought they were the center of the story. So Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of heaven, and his disciples were tasked with multiplying and subduing the earth with it. This is so significant because this was a serious reboot. Turn to your neighbor and say, reboot. I just think it's a fun word to say. Reboot. It was a, it was a, it was a total beginning again Jesus passes the baton to the disciples, but then 40 days after his miraculous resurrection, Jesus takes the disciples to a familiar location outside the city on the Mount of Olives, and the question was asked that they all wanted to know the answer to. Here it is in verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, by the way, they still don't get it. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he said this in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from sight. Just like that, he was gone. Think about being with them on that hill, and Jesus just left. <laughs> He's there. They're thinking, okay, are you restoring the kingdom? Here we go. This is going to be awesome. I mean, you could think about it for a minute. For a minute, they would be like, like this is awesome. Jesus is levitating. This is, is going to be better than I ever thought. This is awesome. What's he doing? Thousands of years of prophecy fulfilled. 
the incarnation of God in human form, the public ministry and profound teaching of Jesus, astonishing signs and wonders and miracles, and finally, Jesus' brutal death, and followed by an unprecedented resurrection, all of this, and he just leaves. He leaves. That's it. That's the end. Listen, if I was doing this story, much better ending. I mean, I would be like, okay, um, let's, Jesus himself said the words, right? Here's how I write it. It is finished. Oh, good ending. Awesome. Go to Matthew 25, the judgment scene of heaven that Jesus tells. Here's the the gathering of the nations. Separate the sheep and the goats. Uh, Get the judgment behind you. Set up your eternal kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, tie it up, man. Put a bow on it. It's done. Jesus chooses to leave. Try to imagine the disciples' confusion. Acts 1, 10 through 11 says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You can see them, can't you? You could see them staring into the sky. And then two angels show up and say, what are you guys doing? Hey, what's up? What are you doing? Why are you standing here looking blankly into the sky? 2,000 years later, I think, I sort of feel like many of us just, this is, this is our posture. Why did Jesus leave? When will he be back? Why are we here? The very mission and purpose of the church depends on our answer to these questions. Your purpose and the meaning of your life, the meaning of my life, also depend on that answer. If we don't understand why Jesus left, we will never understand the significance of our lives. Here's the answer. Jesus left because there was something critical that he intended for his disciples to do. And think about it. If, if you really think about it, one guy running around the whole planet doing his own miracles, like, w- like that's, that's not the best plan. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in you. And you're going to have my spirit, the spirit of God that you sense when I'm here. I, I'm going to send you this Holy Spirit, and, and you're going to do the things that I did that I've done. And you're going to do greater things, the scripture actually says. There was some unfinished business that the church had to take care of. Matthew 24, 3 through 14 says this. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Man, that resonates with me right now, doesn't it with you? It's like so much going on 
Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. That doesn't resonate with me so much. And you, he says, you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Notice 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know, there are still places on the planet where people have never heard the story of Jesus. You know, there are places in the, in, in, in the planet where people don't know the gospel. They have never heard it. In fact, increasingly, people grew up in, have grown up in Austin who don't know the story of Jesus. They know, they know some weird political version of Christianity that's totally rooted in, in crazy uh, judgment and legalism. They don't know the story of Jesus. We are here to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world. That's, that's what Jesus left us here to do. What does the sudden departure of Jesus 2,000 years ago have to do with us in the 21st century? How should it affect the way we live and our understanding of purpose and meaning? The answer lies in our worldview. How do you see the world? As Christians, as Jesus followers, as apprentices to Jesus, we have to see the world the way Jesus sees it, the way God sees it. We have to interact with the world in the way that Jesus did. I fear that we don't embrace the way of Jesus enough. The Brazilian theologian Fred Beto set, made this observation. It's, it's misprinted in your, <laughs> there's a typo in your, in your notes, but it, it's the head thinks where the feet stand. The head thinks where the feet stand. What does that mean? As an American, think of how different your worldview might be if you were born and raised in Afghanistan or in China or, the, or Gaza or the West Bank or Russia or North Korea or Europe somewhere or Ethiopia. Different cultures, economies, governments, religious roots, languages, different foods. <laughs> Is it any wonder that there's so much conflict in the world? Even within the U.S., if you were born in Beverly Hills, you got a totally different experience than rural Mississippi. And so, geography is not the only thing that affects our worldview. Your race, economic status, gender, health, your family situation, all these deeply affect your worldview. So this, the observation of, of this theologian you stand in another person's shoes and your head will think differently. But as true as this is for people, as we, as we travel on missionary journeys or we interact with people who are just beyond our own culture, it's also true of our interaction with God. Where you stand with God determines your worldview. You've got to understand that because the very meaning and purpose of our lives ultimately depends on our understanding our place in the big story of God. We got to see his story unfolding 
Because the author of the universe is writing it, and it's unfolding, and you're, you have a part to play. You're not the star, but you have a role. Think about this. If we're characters in his story created specifically to play a key role, then the ultimate meaning in our lives must be found by figuring out where our story intersects with God's big story. That place where it intersects, authors don't create characters with no purpose, no role to play, except for Jar Jar Binks in that awful Star Wars movie. That was a totally purposeless meaning. It was dumb. Am I right? So stupid. But usually, authors don't do this. God chose not to complete the story and tie up all the loose ends with Jesus' resurrection. Instead, the triumph of Jesus from the grave actually started a new chapter. A new chapter that began with Jesus' startling decision to leave his followers behind. And his final act was to give them a mission. Hey, let me tell you this. Since the beginning, it has been God's desire to collaborate with people. That's why he invited Adam to help him name every animal. Adam, in Genesis. He puts him in a garden. He tells him, you're going to rule over this thing, and I want you to take care of it. And here, why don't you come and help me? Do you think God could have named the animals? God would have been fine. But he said, Adam, why don't you name them? It's a picture in perfection that God created, he wanted collaboration. And now as Jesus leaves, what he wants is to collaborate with you. He wants to include you in his story. He wants to include you in what's happening in the world. And he wants to give you an assignment. He, just like he gave the disciples an assignment and they could accept the mission with all of its consequences or they could walk away and return to their previous lives as fishermen and tax collectors. Jesus gave them a choice and you have a choice as well. You can be consumed with yourself and what's going on all around you. You can see yourself as the story, the centerpiece, or you can participate in God's great story. Acts 1, 12 through 14 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2 describes it, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and there's all these people from all over the nation who are there. And the Bible says that they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the opportunity. And the Bible describes them speaking in other people's languages as the words, the wonders, the wonders of God. Speaking the wonders of God in their language. They, ke they kept saying that. What is this? These Actually, the scripture says, these are Galileans. Which is kind of like saying, these guys are from Bastrop. This doesn't make sense. No offense to Bastrop. Awesome place. But typically a place you don't find people speaking multiple languages, right? So there's like this, this thing, and they, they don't expect it. And suddenly the Holy, Holy Spirit is poured out, and from that day on, as we read the rest of the book of Acts, the disciples proclaim the gospel of the kingdom with revolutionary fervor. Through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the known world, healing the sick, raising the dead, putting the world to rights making things right by the power of the Spirit, and they turn the world upside down. This is the story you and I are a part of. 
We forget because we're bogged down in all the stuff. They were driven. Nothing was more important to them. Their worldview had been shattered by amazing events. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the king, the Messiah, God's huge story had implications they now understood. None of them went back to the lives they lived before Jesus called them. How could they? Everything had changed. For the centuries that follows, nothing has changed because the vital mission that Jesus gave to his followers is still in force. There are still people who need to hear the message. Your purpose, my purpose is connected to the role you're going to play. The role we're going to play in God's big story. I went to school in college at Oral Roberts University as I was describing that story. Oral Roberts was a brilliant evangelist. And he built a university that would train people. When all of his contemporaries were building Bible schools, he built a university because God gave him a vision. And that vision, every student has memorized it. God said to Oral Roberts, raise up your students to hear my voice, to go where my light is dim, where my voice is heard small where my power is not known, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. Their work will exceed yours, and in this I am well pleased. Jesus has said essentially the same thing. Your work's going to exceed anything that I would do as a single human being, and I'm really pleased with this. The mission for you and for me. The vision of, of Oral Roberts was to go into every man's world, to go into every person's sphere of influence, into the world of medicine, into the world of education, the world of engineering, the world of construction, the world of service, the world of politics, the world of entertainment, the world of sports. Wherever you are, you are carrying this message because your story is intersecting with God's huge story. That's our purpose. Close your eyes and bow your head. I want the Lord to speak to you. I want you to listen. How have you responded to God's great purpose? Are you willing to see yourself in his great story? Are you willing to play a role? Or do you just keep trying to be the star? You just keep tr trying to you're just, you're just distracted by all the stuff. You can't even see where your story's supposed to intersect with God's story. I want you to come to the table that the Lord Jesus set for us because clarity is found at that table. The clarity of Jesus Christ modeling for us, laying down his life, surrendering all. The bread that you take from this table represents the body of Jesus being broken, but for your healing and the healing of the world. His, this cup represents his blood being spilled, being poured out for the forgiveness of sins, for your life, for your past, for your history, and for every person on the planet. Would you be willing to come to this table? And would you lay down your agenda, your desire, and what you think your story should be? And would you be willing to accept your role? in the story of God. Listen, 
He wants to do miracles in you. He wants to do something powerful in your life. I saw it yesterday in the Catalyst Retreat, people <clears throat> standing up and, and saying what God has done. People who just came to Jesus, my friend Gino, who just started coming to our church a few weeks ago and, and came to Jesus as a result of it. Uh, a girl named Haley, who Kimberly, who was, was he, she was working with Kimberly. They work at the same spot, and, and she's been working on her and praying for her for months and months, and finally, Haley came to Jesus. This is what we're all called to do. Father, would you teach us? Would you train us? Would you challenge us? Would you call us? Would you lead us? Would you show us the great love that you have for us? You love us so much you want to pull us into your story. And as you do that, Lord, we want to be transformed. We come to this table to be forgiven, to be renewed, to be restored. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.